Revelation 2, 2 verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated, kids. You can meet your leaders in the foyer. Hey, this is a great summer. This is the fourth rain in July so far. Is this not amazing? Um, I welcome it. We can... Good to see you here today. We're going to talk about a really important subject matter today, uh, and it's this issue that is concerning the church in Thyatira. And as we walk through this, we are going to see that this same mindset is still around today, and particularly in our Western cultures, and especially we see it in our American culture. It has drifted into the church, and it's been a, and it's becoming more of a significant issue. Thyatira, the city, was a little bit different than some of the other cities that we read here in these seven messages to these seven churches. It was an interesting place in regard to that the Caesar worship was not something that was dominant there. Instead, it was the place of occult worship. There was much satanic activity and worship that happened and took place there. Much of it was led by a female fortune teller by the name of Psalm Bethe. And it's interesting that the church was planted here. We know that if you'll remember Lydia um, that Paul meets in Philippi, she was from Thyatira. One of the things Thyatira was known for was purple goods. And when Paul meets Lydia um, on the banks of the river there in Philippi, um, it says that she's a seller of these purple goods. And so she's from the city now in Philippi, most likely probably traveling and selling some of the things there. But I want to point this out. This is a, we're going to see today, this is a difficult city to be a believer in. 
This was a difficult church to be a member of. Some people might say, well, why didn't they just change churches? Well, if you'll drive in Collin County, there's a church on every corner or there's three on every corner. Sometimes there's four corners and four churches are looking at each other. You go back to the first century, there wasn't a Presbyterian church down the street. There wasn't another church that was there. So you had one church in the city as, as the church began to be birthed in the first century. So there wasn't a lot of opportunities for other places to go and worship. But this is a difficult place to be. And we will see that Satan is having a very strong influence in the midst of this church. And so again, most likely, either through Lydia or some other means, the church um, in Thyatira was born. So we will see today as we walk through this, some principles of this church that are going to sound very familiar to what we see in and around us. Thyatira is a church that is symbolized as a tolerant church. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the church in Pergamum. They were a compromising church. They were allowing some things to kind of come and go. But here, a a tolerant church allows things to remain. Not only do they allow compromise, but they allow it to remain. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. This church, Thyatira, is the most corrupt of the seven churches. It's the longest, if you didn't notice that a while ago. It goes all the way from 18 to verse 29. It's the longest address that Jesus gives of the seven churches. In our nation's history, we, will, we have seen that though the majority of people weren't all were always followers of Jesus, there still was in our history a mindset or a worldview that was Christian in nature. That there was a truth that people embraced and it kind of guided things, but we no longer live in a time like that. We live in a day and time where absolute truth has been tossed out the window, and now it's everybody has a truth. It's, it's as things are that's recorded in the book of Judges. At the very end of the, of the book of Judges, um, the writer writes these, this is in, in 21:25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right. In his own eyes. Y'all know what this rain means. That you're not in a rush to get to your car and I get to preach a long time, okay? Uh, So, come on, God. Keep bringing it. All right. So, this was the way Israel was at that particular point in time. And so, we live in a day and time where that's as well. Sometimes you look around and you're like, who's running this place? And just the thinking and the thoughts that seem to, to dominate our culture are much like the days of the judges. So not only is our time marked by everyone to have, having a freedom to just think and do whatever they want, there's been another dramatic shift in our lifetime that has been born from this philosophy, and it's this. It is this now a, a, a pressuring from the culture to say that everybody, even Christians, need to accept whatever anybody believes, that we are to accept that as normal. But the, he, the huge issue that's connected with this is that everything is tolerated in our country except Christianity. Christianity is the one that is, that is told, no, you can't think that. You must change. We can continue to think the way we do, but you Christians need to change. And so the central truth of the culture is that our culture has moved to a place of deep permissive tolerance where truth's definition now is to allow any and everything. And as we have often considered in these days, 
as we've been talking quite a bit over the last several months about the role of the church and who the church is. People bring in ideas like there's no like crazy false teaching happening within LifePoint. But let's not fool ourselves to not thinking that there are not things that are brought in here today with some of us that are, are ideas that are not biblical and yet they are promoted through other means, not inside the church teaching. But one of the great dangers now is social media where church people who can come to a place that's deeply conservative and theologically correct can begin to post things that are, are opposite of what their church believes and firms and opposite of what the scripture teaches. So even a church like us that's theologically conservative and, and deeply desires to be biblical can have aspects of where the world's thinking has influenced some. And whether it's coming to the church or not, it's a part of the church. Because everybody who's come into this room this morning has brought an idea, has brought a, a worldview, has brought a course and a path that our life goes on. And so this church in Thyatira began to have a different one, and it was destructive to them. They didn't start out this way, but they became this way. And so we're going to look today of how do you avoid being a church of tolerance? How do we avoid our own lives becoming and our families becoming a place where we're tolerating things that the Bible does not affirm? I have one library, one great library, and I hope that you do too. And it doesn't consist of hundreds of books. It consists of 66 books. And I'm going to be an expert of that library called the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I believe that when that becomes our library, that becomes the course of our reading, then I think we are prepared and we are ready for anything that may come to recognize what is true and what is not true. So to begin our time today, I want to remind us of what Jesus does with all seven churches. He addresses the pastor, the leader of the church. He's, he addresses the angel. Angel means messenger. So he addresses the leader of the church and calls them and reminds them of certain aspects of who he is. And so let's look at that just for a moment. Look at verse 18 again. And so to the messenger of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So the pastor has this great role and responsibility to listen to and hear and submit to the author of Scripture. And the author of scripture is Jesus. Now Jesus here does something for the first time that he hasn't done to the other three churches that we have looked at. He gives a title connected to his name. So with all the others, he has spoken of images that we saw at the end of Revelation 1 when John turns and he sees Jesus behind him. Now Jesus does something that he hasn't done. He calls himself the Son of God. So the words that we are looking at this morning to Thyatira come from the eternal Son of God. The one who's never had a beginning and will never have an end. He is the sustainer, sustainer of all things. And so he is the Son of God. And so the Son of God is speaking and calling to the leader of the church in Thyatira to consider how important these words are because they come from the Son of God. Now, John would have known this. He's walked with Jesus for about 60 years. He would have known who this is. 
He would have known Jesus as the Son of God. And so as he's listening to these words, this is his Lord. This is the one that he was friends with. This is the one that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that John leaned his head back on the chest of Jesus. John had a great relationship with Jesus. John is the one that Jesus entrusts the care of Mary to. So as John's listening to this, he is hearing his Lord and his friend say this, you need to hear this. This message is to go to the leader of the church in Thyatira. So these are the Son of God's words. A couple other things connected with that. John hears Jesus say this. This is the Son of God speaking. And the Son of God has eyes like a flame of fire. What does that mean? It means this. That Jesus had these eyes that searched, could see. He had penetrating vision to see what was true. We'll see in a moment that when you looked at Thyatira from the outside, you would see a church that was faithfully active. They were loving one another. They had good ministry that was happening, I believe, just connected to the remnant of believers, because this church had a remnant that Jesus speaks about toward the end of this message. But Jesus wants them to know, I see everything. You are not going to hide anything from me. And so he is going to deal with them in a severe way because of what they were allowing and what they are tolerating. So the Son of God has a penetrating vision to see what is happening and taking place. He has infinite and intimate knowledge when he sees things. Nothing is hidden from him. So when he pronounces something, it comes from a place of perfect understanding with no mistakes. So his eyes of fire would pierce through the deepest darkness of any church, and particularly of Thyatira, to reveal what was true and what was existing inside the hearts of the people connected to the church. Not only did the Son of God speak, not only did the Son of God have a penetrating vision, but His feet were like bronze. If you look in the Old Testament, anytime bronze is mentioned, it, it was a representation of judgment, of something going through the fire, to be purified, to be made more holy. And so Jesus' feet were like burnished bronze. His eyes were like a flame of fire, penetrating vision. And as he walked, he would bring judgment and he would point out truth and he would burn things and he would purify things. Now, by the way, let me just say this. A church, a biblical church, should welcome the gaze of of Jesus upon their lives. Would you agree with me? We want to be holy. We want to be righteous. And so we want Jesus to have a penetrating gaze of the direction of life point, of the people of life point. We also want Jesus to walk among us. We want him to step in places that need to be addressed. We want him to speak about those things. We want his steps to bring the purity in whatever is necessary. And so as Jesus stepped Into the church of Thyatira, his steps were pure, they were completely holy, and he is not going to allow them to continue in the sin. So not only are his eyes connected in judgment, but his feet march to bring it as well. This language about Jesus being judged and God being judged is very unpopular today. Um, It's not talked about much, but it must be talked about because the Bible speaks about it. 
You see, a culture of tolerance does not welcome talk of God's judgment. Tolerance reigns when there is no fear of God. And when there is a fear of God, there is a desire, a deep desire for God's holiness to reign and to work and to move among the people of God. And so at this church, as God speaks to the pastor, he says to them, you have an issue in your church. There was a woman by the name of Jezebel. And she was teaching that you could hold on to your pagan beliefs and follow Jesus at the same time. There was no conflict about that. So you could be holy and righteous at times, walking with Jesus, and then at other times you could do whatever you wanted to do. So she would have emphasized in her teaching that you could practice sin and then continue to act like you were saved. Those things, practicing sin and being saved, didn't have anything to do with one another. They could be two separate things, and you could continue to do that. Her message would have sounded something like this. See if you've heard this before in our culture. Come as you are. Come as you are. You don't need to change anything at all. You can continue to live like you always have, and we will accept you just as you are. God is love. God loves you. Therefore, we love you. And so therefore, you don't have to change anything to be a part of our group. Can I just say this to you? Please don't ever love me that way. I need consistent working of the Spirit in my life for Him to make me more holy. I don't need you to tell me that I just need to stay the way I am. I don't need to stay the way I am. I need to become more and more like Jesus. And so together, this is the call that we are to have for one another. Yes, all of these these, uh, messages that are out there in the church today have a tinge of truth with them. Yes, come as you are in here. But we're going to love you enough to call you to leave your life of sin so that you will come to know Jesus and know the freedom that comes in life and walking with him. So at Thyatira, there was an evil that could not be dealt with or ignored in a conventional kind of way. Strict judgment, strict truth needed to be addressed there. And so very few at Thyatira, it seems, were against what was being taught and happening there. And so it was allowed to thrive within the church body, and it was affecting everyone. And so Jesus says, messenger of the church in Thyatira, I am the son of God. I have penetrating vision, and I'm walking in midst of you to bring purity and to deal with what's there. Now, Jesus, secondly, knows that within Thyatira, there were people that were authentically walking with him. So I believe that there, there was a remnant that was there that didn't like what was going on, um, possibly didn't have enough influence at the time to be able to overcome what was happening and taking place. But Jesus does give an affirmation. So look with me in verse 19. So Jesus says, listen, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So not everybody in Thyatira was embracing what this woman, Jezebel, was teaching and leading in the church. There was a remnant that was walking in holiness and desired that. But again, I, I think it was, it was fewer, many fewer, 
And they didn't have enough influence at the point to, to be able to overcome what was happening and taking place. And so Jesus is going to deal with that. But just look at the things that are there. These are important things. A church needs to be about works, needs to be about ministry. A church should love. Now, one of the issues here is they were, this, it's the only church of the seven that Jesus affirms them for how they loved. But there was a problem. They allowed the way they loved one another to go too far to a place of tolerance. I love you, but I'm not really going to do about what you're doing with the woman Jezebel, how you're giving affirmation to what she's teaching and what she's doing. And so, so there, there were, on the one hand, they were loving well. And on the other hand, it was kind of destroying what they were doing is that they weren't drawing any lines of distinction. So they had good works. They were loving one another well. Um, it was a place where real authentic faith was there. There were a remnant followers that were faithful and, and being true to Jesus. They were serving one another in love and, and doing good deeds. This word service there is the same word that we translate in the New Testament for the word deacon, the one who serves and, and gives of their life. It kind of carries the idea of somebody who's kicking up dust as they go along because they are active and they are moving and they are doing things. And then Jesus says of them, and you have, some of you have great patient endurance. Again, I want to remind you, this would not have been, if you are a lover of God's word and a lover of truth and a lover of righteousness, to be a part of the church of Thyatira, to hear what some of the members were doing would have been a difficult opportunity. You probably would have been mocked, but they had, some of them had great patient endurance. It wasn't a place where some of them had a fickle faith and a strong faith. It was consistent. They were practicing it. It was constant. And he tells them that your latter works exceed the first. And so some of them were faithful. But then there comes this new issue, and we want to talk about that now. Look with me in verse 20. And I want to read 20 through 23 because we're going to talk about the tolerance that is connected to this false teacher. So he gives affirmation, then he moves into something that he has against them. Verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw in a great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. So I want to talk about her, and we're going to talk now about principles of tolerance and how they have been allowed to be a part of the church today. So again, when you look at verse 19, you would go, wow, look at Thyatira. It's got people faithfully loving one another, serving one another, doing good works. There's a patient endurance that's a part of the body. People are serving in a way that they're kicking up dust. People are being faithful in the way that they are carrying out the gospel. But when the burning eyes of Jesus came upon the church in Thyatira, we could see that that church was rotten on the inside. Jesus confronts them over this sin in the strongest way. So in the very same church, you had people that were doing godly works and those who were doing 
some of the most evil kind of things. So this reveals that a church can be active in ministry and still be greatly out of step with God when immorality comes a part of the church. So to purify the church, Jesus comes and he's going to confront this influential leader named Jezebel. So the church was being pulled away by abandoning the scriptures and mistaking and, and following the mistaken teachings of this woman and what she was doing in the midst of the congregation. So Jesus exposes what is happening and taking place in her judgment in these verses. Aaron, would you put the next thing up there? Let me show you the difference between compromise and tolerance. So, so two weeks ago we talked about Pergamum. This is what this is what compromise is. Compromise is opening the door and letting something come in and then letting it go. So at times with compromise, you push it out. But here's what tolerance is. Tolerance is opening the door and allowing something to, to remain and to be active and to live. That's the difference. So with Pergamum, they hated, there's a group that hated the Nicolaitans, if you remember, and the teachings of those that taught like Balaam did. But here... At Thyatira, they were like, okay, you don't have to go. Just come on into the church. Have a seat right down with us. Tell us what's on your heart. You're a prophetess, and we'll listen. We'll follow your teaching. We'll participate in the practical ways of what you were letting us know about. And so that's what was happening and taking place. Now listen to this. This is the incredible danger in a culture like ours today, where the church has greatly drifted. She, this teacher, this woman, was given shelter inside the church when it was clear that she is not even a follower of Christ. And so she's a part of the church. She's been allowed to teach. She's been allowed to sit down and to remain. And it's clear she is not even a follower of of Jesus. This is a dangerous position for churches to take, for families to take, denominations to take, and someone in their own life. It's believed by some that this woman may have been the pastor's wife, because if you go back to the Old Testament and you talk about Jezebel, she was married to whom? That's a Bible question. Ahab, he was king of the northern kingdom, and And he was the worst king in their history, just did unbelievable abominations. And she was married. So some believe that possibly this is the wife of the pastor of the church in Thyatira. In Ephesus, they didn't put up with false apostles and they hated the Nicolaitans. But in Thyatira, they just said, you can come on in and we'll give you a prominent vocal teaching position inside the church. What the church had failed to do was 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So who is this woman? What is she like? What were the principles connected with her? Let me just remind you, um, whether her name actually is Jezebel or not, Jesus clearly is drawing on an inference from the Old Testament to say that the woman in the Old Testament is just like this one. And so let me just read a little bit about her. If you're taking notes, you can write 1 Kings 16, 29 through 33. So in the 38th year, 
of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. And Ahab, listen to this, did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And then he took on a wife who was incredibly evil. It's believed that before she became Ahab's wife, she was um, part of a religion of the Canaanite people in the city of Sidon um, because she's from the Sidonians. Um, it was believed that she, she worked, lived, was a part of this temple that eventually um, had lots of prophets that she would bring with them. When she came to Israel, she brought them to the northern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, she began to practice this sexual immorality that was there. And so as Jesus draws this inference to the Old Testament, to the New Testament, he is saying this is what was happening and taking place in Thyatira. She was awful. Her name has stood throughout time for anything that endangers biblical teaching that leads toward idolatry and immorality. The Jezebel counterpart of this verse is a symbolic name of those that distort doctrine that promotes idolatry that eventually leads to immorality. And just like the Jezebel in the Old Testament... She strongly influenced her, her, her husband to allow all of this stuff to happen and take place within his kingdom. Now, let me note what happens here. So we're going to have some principles up here about toleration that it's important. And I want to note this first thing. She called herself a prophetess. That's the first thing that Jesus says about her. This was a self-proclaimed title. This had not been given to her. She had not been called of God. She just told everybody, hey, everybody, I want you to know, I've got a vision, I've got a revelation from God. I am a prophetess. So therefore, members of the church of Thyatira, you need to listen to what I say because God has given me a fresh vision. So she claims to have a spiritual authority, but Jesus says she has none. She's just proclaimed this, self-proclaimed it, that she has this. And so this is a self-proclaimed title. God didn't appoint her to this. And it's clear he didn't appoint her to this because of her selfishness and because of her sexual desires to put sexuality upon the people of the church. This is not leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's not who's leading her. Satan is behind her. But she tells everybody, I've got this vision, I have this anointing, so you need to listen to me. So not only did she have a self-proclaimed title, she had a self-affirmed role, she began to teach. And nobody, it seems, and maybe somebody did, we're just not given the information here, but we can only go on what we have here. It doesn't seem that anybody had a problem with what she was teaching. Can you imagine being a part of a church 
like that and just staying and not pushing back. And so the, it's, it, it seems clear here that she's called herself this. I've got this fresh word from the Lord. So you need to listen to me. Two things happened here, and we'll have this up on the screen, that were happening in Thyatira. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I have to address it and I have to deal with it. Now, in the room here, there are two genders, regardless of what our culture says. There are men and women in the room. Now, once we come to faith in Christ, every single one of us who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, who are in a relationship with Jesus, in Christ we are equal. Paul writes multiple times, there is now, therefore, no male or female, no Jew nor Greek. That's in Christ, position-wise. But in regard to function inside the church, there are, hear this, different roles. God has given certain roles to men inside the church. God has given certain roles to women inside the church. And it doesn't mean one is less and one is greater, but it's the way in which God has ordered things. And so here in Thyatira... Yes, everybody in Christ is equal, male and female. But in regard to function, men are to be the teachers at the church. And women have teaching roles at the church of pouring their lives into other women, leading their homes and raising their children to walk with the Lord. But God has called men to be the elders and the platform teachers in the church. Now, in our culture today, and I may get emails about that this week, and I can deal with the emails. I know in our culture today, that's not popular. But here's the problem. The Apostle Paul wrote that. And if we begin, and and this is the big pushback in, in the church today. Well, I disagree with Paul, and so I'm going to now have a different perspective of what Paul wrote. And it seems to be mainly in this area. There are a few other areas. We, if we start doing that to Paul's writings, where does it stop? And we, we can't do that. I, t- I tell you, my wife knows more about the Bible than I know. And this is my occupation. I'm constantly impressed by the knowledge and, and the intimacy that my wife has with God. But God has called her to a different role than a man inside the church. And here in Thyatira, they have usurped the roles. This woman should not be standing up on Sunday morning teaching. And not only has has the role been kind of flipped upside down, she's now teaching heresy and teaching things that have nothing to do with the Scripture. And this is being allowed to happen and taking place in this. Discernment in today's day and time has been lost and it needs to be recovered. Would you agree with me? It's been lost a lot to be able to to clearly understand what's right and wrong. And listen, just because somebody claims spiritual authority doesn't mean that they have spiritual authority. All of us need to have a strong radar with those around the gospel who claim to have fresh revelation that's not been embraced by the church in history. 
And if a teaching leads to an, listen to this, if a teaching leads to an outward corruption of the people in whom that person is teaching, that is not biblical teaching. It's just, for me, it's just simple. If the proclamation leads people to a more sinful life, then how in the world does it have anything to do with Scripture and godliness? All teaching should call people to holiness and godliness. And so if a teaching leads to an outward corruption or blatant ignoring of historical biblical doctrine, then it is corrupt teaching. And when these teachings and these movements come under the affirmation of the church and they're allowed to to come into the church and just sit down and remain inside the church, all that church will eventually have is corruption. That's the only fruit that will come of that. You will begin to have a Christless Christianity, which, by the way, is not Christianity if Jesus isn't a part of it. And if a teaching calls believers to lower their spiritual guard from holiness to more toleration and less from separation, then that teacher or movement are infected with the sickness of Thyatira. There is, hear this, there is absolutely nowhere in Scripture where we are called to build alliances with the spirit and the ways of this world. Nowhere. So it needs to stop in the Western church. We need to fight in the years to come that it would never be a part of our church here. There is nowhere in Scripture where we are called to build alliances with the spirit of this world. Ezekiel had to deal with this in his day. It's in, by the way, I'm not, there's no way I'm getting through this. I'll put some more stuff on the internal private Facebook page today about some of this. But Ezekiel had to deal with this in his day as well. So she has a self-proclaimed title. She has a self-affirmed role that she's teaching. Thirdly, her seducing brought influence toward immorality. So Jesus says, seducing my servants, my people, seducing them to practice what I don't teach, immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Some in the church of Thyatira was affirming her. By the way, the fact that the word seducing is mentioned here should just throw up major red flags. Wait a minute. Seducing is not a word of sanctification. So everybody should have known, okay, this teaching, this idea has nothing to do with the gospel that we've been taught. Whether it came from Lydia, whether it came from Paul, whoever it was that started the church at Thyatira, the fact that now she's teaching in a way that is not towards sanctification, but it's towards seduction of sexual immorality should have just should have just told everybody, okay, this is not right. This is wrong. This word seducing means to cause somebody to go astray, to lead them from the right kind of pathway. And likely, Thyatira got caught up, like a lot of churches today in our culture, where they like, listen to this, they like the delivery of the message more than its content. And that's a problem, right? The content matters. The content matters. 
one of the marks of the Western church culture is that it, that it has, there has been a dramatic shift toward loving the form of church rather than the substance of the church. And the substance has got to be biblical. So the practice of seduction becomes part of the language of a church when the, when the scripture has been abandoned by the church. And so this woman, self-proclaimed title, teaching, usurping the role and teaching heresy that brought about seducing God's people toward a bad place. And occasionally, somebody here, a guest or one of you might say, and, and this is not a negative thing, will say, is that really going on out there? Yeah, it is really going on out there. I want to show you just a brief video so you can kind of have an idea of what's taking place in the liberal branch of the Presbyterian Church in America. Watch this. I invite you to rise in body or spirit and let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. It's shocking to see it, but I'm just telling you this is taking place on this same Sunday today all over America. And so that's why I have, over the last year, have felt a strong call to teach about the church and to remind us about what the true church is. Now, this new Jezebel spirit that has infected the American church isn't like what we're reading here, where adults were gathering together in sex parties. So they were worshiping on Sunday morning together, And then they would be a part of these trade guilds in Thyatira that you had to be a part of and you would worship a a god of your trade guild. Every trade guild had a god. You would worship, you would eat meat that had been sacrificed to that god when you gathered. Then you would get drunk so that you could get to a place where sexual immorality would take place. And this began to drift inside the church of Thyatira. Now we're not seeing that that kind of immorality like Thyatira in the church, we're seeing that. And I've said this in weeks past and I'll say it again. We we no longer, we do, but our country no longer values children anymore. We just don't value children. The fact that grown adults will dance sexually in front of children in city streets or the walk nude down city streets in front of children and the things that we, in the abortion industry and all of this, it's all a confirmation that we no longer value children. 
And in many ways, the church in America has been invaded by the Jezebel spirit of Thyatira. I just can't fathom that nobody stood up while that was going on to say, what are we doing? And nobody did. So God's call upon us is that we would not be the kind of church that would ever allow something like that and that we would be as Jesus does here. Listen, Jesus addresses the sin of this church. So therefore, what do we need to do if he is our model? We address these things. We talk about these things. You may not know this, but there are two prominent local pastors who this past week wrote an article in the Dallas Morning News affirming homosexuality. One is in McKinney, and another church um, is in the Allen, kind of North Plano, Allen area. They just had a conference at one of their places where People came from all over the country to this conference and they're allowing them to, and I I want you to hear this, in the history of the church, we have never said anything but Christian. And one of the things that's drifted into the church now is, is it's okay to say the word gay Christian. We don't allow anybody to say, I'm a pornography Christian. I'm a pedophile Christian. So it's this issue that has become prominent, this Jezebel sexual teaching that is drifting into the church, allowing a language that is not biblical and a mindset that is not true. And this shifting of language matters. It matters. You know, for a while they they said, let's don't use the word pedophile, so we're going to use the word map. We're going to rename pedophiles map, which means minor attracted person. They've since noticed that that doesn't go over well, so now it's called YAP. It's called youth attracted person. And so we've got to, as God's people, have the discernment that I talked about a while ago to recognize the Jezebeling of the American church and to be connected with the truth and to know what's there. So... So just as it was 2,000 years ago, it is happening today. And this is the amazing thing about our God. And I praise, I praise this aspect of his nature. Do you remember what he said a while ago? I've gone to Jezebel and I've, and I've asked her to repent. What's, what's Jesus doing with her? He's being unbelievably patient with someone who is teaching and doing things in the church that is immoral, and he offers her forgiveness. So Jesus says, listen, I gave her time to repent. This has been pointed out to her that this is not true, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And so Jesus says, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw her on the bed that she's using to bring about this immorality, I'm going to throw her on that very bed and I'm going to deal with that. And so Jesus says, Behold, I will throw her under a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. And so Jesus, are you not thankful, those of you who came to know Christ as an adult, that he was patient with you and allowed you time and allow the opportunity for faith to come and to be birthed by the Spirit in our lives. 
But Jesus just says here, her bed of whoredom would become one of God's judgment where he would deal with this in a strong way. She will find that the very destruction in the teaching that she was teaching and modeling would be the very place of her demise. And she was having children. She was having people buy into this and probably talk about it and promote it. You may not remember this. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'll put that on later. But if you'll remember in the Old Testament, it didn't end real well for Jezebel. And God, God strongly judged her immediately, where in just a few hours after she was struck dead, the only thing that was left to her was her skull and the bones of her hands. God dealt strongly, and Jesus is saying, this is what I'm going to do. Now, there's a fifth thing that I think is important. Look with me in the last part of 23. And all the churches, Jesus says, after I do this, will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give each of you according to your works. So Jesus says this, I'm going to make it clear to the true church, the remnant church, the biblical church, that I'm the leader of the church. I'm going to make it clear. That all that stuff that's being taught under the guise of Christianity is not true Christianity. I'm the leader of the church, and I'm going to deal with that. And then he says, because it'll be known that I'm the one who searches hearts and mind. And here's what happens, and it's happened. Have you seen what's happened to Hillsong Church all over the world? The sexual immorality that's been a part of the Hillsong group, it's crumbled. Why? Because it's been built in the spirit of Thyatira. And eventually, you know what Jesus does to that? He crumbles it. He comes and he brings his judgment, his penetrating gaze, and his feet of bronze. And he brings destruction and judgment. I don't know if you care what I think, but I'm going to say this, and I hope you care about this. I think in the years to come, the remnant church like ours will look back on 2020 through 2023 and however long this silliness continues in our culture. We will look back and we will see that along the way, God was tearing down this thinking. And it may be 15 years from now, we'll look back and go, yeah, that prominent pastor who had that fresh revelation and everybody was flocking to their church, but there was immorality that was a part of that, that those places no longer exist or something else has happened or it's crumbled. And I think what we've seen with Hillsong, to be honest with you, is this. Jesus has crumbled it. And he's saying to the churches, churches, I want you to know, I search the heart and minds of the pastor, of the elders, of the members of the church, of what's being taught, what's being allowed to be taught, what's allowed to come in and just sit down and to be present with that. And there was no fear of God's work, and there needed to be fear of God's work, but but I think we will look back on these days, and I think what Jesus says here, that all the churches will know, we will know eventually what was true and authentic, and we will know about that even at life point. Time will reveal if what we did here was of Jesus or if it was of something else. We need to be careful that we're not so prideful that we would not get caught up into something. I don't think we would 
There's enough of us here who love the scripture who won't allow it or won't fight for what's true. But we need to be the kind of people that fear him. So again, in the years to come, I think God will deal with this immorality, these pastors and churches. And so he says in 24, here's what I need you to do. The remnant, those of you in Thyatira who aren't buying into this. He says in 24, to the rest of you who don't hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden Only hold fast to what you have until I come. How bad was Thyatira? Let me tell you how bad it was. They would come to church, and part of the teaching in Thyatira was this. If I learn more about Satan, I'll learn more about Jesus. (laughs) So not only was... This woman allowed to sit down and teach and to do all of this and bring all this sexual corruption within the church. They also, somebody was teaching, either her or someone else was teaching, that if I know, if I get to know Satan more and I get to know the deep things of Satan, then I'm going to get to know more about who Christ is. And no, we're to never, we don't want to become experts about who he is. We want to become experts about who Jesus is. Jesus has, by the way, defeated Satan. He's defeated. And as God's people, we walk in that victory. There are those that taught there were deep things that you could learn. Special people get to know about these deep things. The Mormons teach this. and Some other religions of the world teach this as well. You see, at great peril... We open up our lives to the latest voice claiming to have some new fresh thing. And so many of these fresh visions have become nightmares for God's people. Loyalty to Jesus is faithfulness to the Word and the Word's teaching. And the voice of Jezebel, the voice of Balaam, is not to be welcomed inside the church. And we will lose, as God's unique people, our unique identity, if we follow another voice that's not the voice of Jesus, and if we hold fast to those truths and not to the truth of Jesus. Would you turn with me as we begin to close here? Second Corinthians, I want to show you something in Second Corinthians chapter 6. Church in Corinth had lots of issues. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, if you would follow along with me. This call that Paul writes here has not changed at all. It's a call to come out from, not join in. So Paul writes, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does the believer share with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, now Paul makes a quote to the Old Testament. 
I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And I just want to remind us this morning, this call from Paul has not changed Though it's 2023 and the culture is different. As a matter of fact, our culture is not any different than first century Roman culture. Not any different at all. As a matter of fact, you could almost make the case that Roman culture was way worse than 2023 American culture because of the things that were happening and taking place and the persecution that was there. And I just want to remind us of what Jesus says here. You hold to the truth. True church, you hold to the truth. You hold fast. And you do not join your life with the thinking and the ways of the world. And then in 26, he says, The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. Why do we hang on? Why this call to persevere? By the way, Jesus is talking about, hold on to this until I come back. This is the first reference in the book of Revelation about the millennial kingdom. You hold on, because I'm going to come and I'm going to rule, and then you're going to rule with me in the millennial kingdom. So we are to keep God's works, true works, until the very end. Keeps my works until the end. Note whose works are kept. Jesus' works, not Jezebel's works. We don't keep the ways of the world to the end. We keep the ways of Jesus. Jesus speaking of the last days in Matthew 24, 12 says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So eventually those who hang on to the end are going to become conquerors in a way that they're given authority over the nations. We know that the apostles are given this authority. One day Peter loved to talk. Peter loved to talk came to Jesus and said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What then will we have? And Jesus said, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But there are many who are first and they will be last. And the last, first. So the march of the conqueror that Jesus tells this remnant in Thyatira, you keep the works until the end. And when I come, I'm going to give you authority over the nations to rule. It's the same kind of authority, Jesus says, even as I myself have received authority from the Father, I'm going to give you authority. the the same kind of authority, and then we will be given, Jesus says, the morning star. You know what the morning star is? I wish I could have seen it this morning from my house. I could see the remnants of it. Anybody take a picture of the sunrise this morning? It was unbelievable. From my backyard, it was hidden by too many houses. 
But the colors, I could tell, were just absolutely unbelievable. You see, the morning star emerges just before the dawn. And Jesus says those who are the victors will not only share in the rights of the victor, but they will enter into deep fellowship with Christ himself when he comes again. Because when the morning star rises, everybody knows that night is gone and the sun overcomes the darkness. So what do we do to avoid tolerance? Let me give you four practical things for just a moment. We must choose, first of all, these won't be on the screen. We must choose Christ over culture. If we're going to avoid tolerance, we must choose Christ over culture. A church becomes a tolerant church. Never suddenly. It happens over time. It begins to naturally grow if culture has the strongest voice in a life or inside of a church. And we live in a culture that teaches that you can't really know anything confidently for sure. It's called postmodernism. Absolute truth is a myth. If you believe something strong enough, then it just becomes truth. That's, that's, what, that's, that's the mindset today. If you believe it long enough, then it's true. No, it's not. Truth is truth. It doesn't matter how passionate you are about it. There are things that are true and not true. And our culture will continue to say, if we don't affirm their passionate stance on something that's evil and it's not true and it's not right, they will say intolerant, racist, bigot. You have an ill-advised phobia that belittles the value of another life. But I want to remind us today, God's people have always had an objective standard and, and it must be beyond ourselves. It must be the scripture. And listen, if the scripture can be downgraded to, being, to be less than the culture's understanding of something, then a church will always desire to fit in with the culture rather than conform to the truth of Jesus. And I also just want to remind us today, I know we get this, but let's hear it again with good ears. Jesus was against sin. What was this about? About sin. So he was against sin. He laid down his life to pay the penalty for that. It's recorded in the four Gospels, and his call for our lives is to choose the kingdom of God over culture. Secondly, we avoid tolerance by rightly defining sin according to the Bible and not culture. This is where some Christians and churches have headed wrongly. One of the large issues today is this redefinition of terms that has become so prevalent. See, the Bible defines sin with words like rebellion, spiritual adultery in the book of Hosea. If you remember when we were reading through Hosea, ESV uses this word about sin, whoredom. Um, Strong language. It's, it's called lawlessness, sin is. It's called idolatry. It's called forsaking the truth. 
And there's been such a great shift in using new words to define what the Bible calls sin. And the new tolerance that is defined today says that all thoughts and all practices are on equal footing. There is no hierarchy of truth. All beliefs are equal. That's not going to change culture-wise. And so we stay connected to the truth, knowing that there is hierarchy, and it's God's word, and there is nothing higher. Thirdly, we have to affirm, this is a big one here, we have to affirm the inerrancy of Scripture to avoid justifying sin. Now, inerrancy means this, that the Bible doesn't have errors. Now, I want you to hear this. I follow this because it's my role to make sure that you are informed and I'm informed about what's happening and taking place out there. And, and I would even encourage you to not do a whole lot of research. Sometimes I feel like I need to have a bath when I do some research about what's going on out there. But one of the biggest things that's happening today in the Western church is an attack on the truth of God's word. And here's why. If you can attack what Paul says about something and say, well, you can't really trust. You can trust most of the Bible, but not all of it. There's some things there that you can't really trust. Why do people say that? You know why people say that? That you can't really trust the truthfulness of the Scripture? is because this, this is behind every single statement that's like that. It's because they are going to justify some kind of sin. So this teaching about you can't trust the Bible, that it has errors, that is spoken by people in my role, pastors. Pastors actually say that from platforms on Sunday mornings in this, in this country. And that's said because something needs to be justified. I'm just going to freely admit it to you this morning. You know it to be true. I'm a broken man who... Who, who only is who I am today because the magnificent work of the Holy Spirit, not because I've done anything. God does the great work in our lives to make us holy. And so we need to, to never lose sight of that reality. I desperately need Him every moment of the day. You need Him in that way. And if someone can strongly question historic and foundational biblical doctrine, then the suppositions begin to be formed that people have, and and in time, there are principled statements that attack the Word of God, and yet people speak about the Word of God, but you can kind of pick and choose which parts of the Word of God are actually relevant. I had a conversation Mark and I did not too long ago where someone told us, Ephesians, have you ever, y'all remember the end of Ephesians 5 there, this beautiful picture about Jesus' relationship with the church and and the husband's relationship with his wife and the wife's relationship with the husband. This person told Mark and I that the Western church needs to rethink all of that, that we basically have not had the right idea of what's taught there. And no, we don't need to rethink it. I can't think of anything more beautiful than the calling upon my life where it says that I am to wash my wife in the water of the word and I'm to lay my life down. And how the wife is to to honor her husband as as she honors God and and this beautiful aspect of things. And so this, this language that dominates today can't be embraced. 
So we've got to affirm that the scripture doesn't have errors and that the truth is the truth. Lastly, therefore, we must stand firmly in the truth. Listen to these words here. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Paul tells Timothy, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but you train your life for godliness. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and talking and and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing these things, by professing the sparkle creed, here's the reality. Families are messed up and these people have swerved from the truth. Paul writes to Titus, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the the circumcision party. Paul says they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Did you catch what Paul is telling Timothy and Titus in regard to doctrine and teaching and those who teach it? He said, turn away from them. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't listen to their podcast. Don't... You rebuke them. You avoid their teaching. This is the opposite. Avoiding them is the opposite of tolerance. Where tolerance says, you just come in and you can have a seat. Paul says, no, you just, you come out from them. You run away from that. And if we are not careful, we will be in danger of doing the same thing. Tolerating a bunch of ridiculous beliefs. Because like Thyatira, we are too scared or we're too loving to speak the truth, and we were afraid we might lose a friend or lose the argument, so we just sit idly by and allow ignorance and even heresy to infiltrate the church. And we cannot tolerate the spirit of Jezebel or Thyatira anymore. Let me... Give this picture. It's raining again, so God gave me more time. That's my interpretation. In Christianity, we have closed fist issues and some open-handed issues. Open-handed issues are maybe, are you pre-trib or post-trib? There's, you know, there's some things that we can kind of talk about and look at that. But there are some things in Christianity that we are never to open the hand about. We're to, we're to remain steadfast about those. And this one we talked about today, this allowance of sexual immorality to drift inside the church is a closed-fisted issue, and we're not to open our hands to it. Because when you open your hands to something, something can be put there. But if you keep your hands like this, nothing can be put there. So last night, Amazing Saturday night, you could sit out on whatever yesterday was, July the whatever, 17th or what, I don't know what it was. Sat outside, cool breeze, it was great. I was studying, walking through the sermon for today, and I heard a little sound to my right off the patio, and I turned over, and a toad frog had come out. They kind of live underneath our porch. There's a little mini cave that was there, and two of them live in there, and they came out, and 
So I got distracted. I'm easily sometimes distracted. And so I should have been reading my notes. It made me stay up later. But for about 20 minutes, I watched this little toad, toad being unbelievably patient. And about every 30 seconds or so, an ant would come by, and his tongue was so fast that I couldn't see, but he was eating the ants. Just patient, just patient, just patient. And so I thought about hanging on to the truth, and I watched him being patient. And I just wanted to remind us that that's the kind of people we need to be like what I saw last night. We stay steadfast. We wait. We know that God's going to feed us his truth. He has fed us his truth. And we're the kind of people who will hold fast to right doctrine and the truth. Amen? Amen. So again, I don't, I don't think that we're in danger of becoming Thyatira at life point but it's still worth exploring the danger that's out there because it's out there. Let's pray, okay?